Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Good morning, everyone. My name is Izan. Thank you for the privilege to stand here. It is a very big privilege uh, to stand. It's not the same as doing announcements. Mm-mm. Someone spending money. I'm getting notifications. I'm fun. Um, I feel like I have very little to say all of a sudden because uh, God has spoken to us already uh, very much. Uh, and I hope you've been hearing and been paying attention uh, to what the Holy Spirit is saying, that your hearts are open. Um, I want to pray for us. And then I have a, a word to share. It's a, it's a word for the family. Uh, it's a family. I feel like I'm saying the same thing I did a year ago when I was here, <laughs> but it's a word for the family um, that I hope is going to encourage um, and show you that God is very much with us, um, but it, he's um, straightening up some things in the house also. So Father, this morning, we are thankful uh, that your spirit is here and that your spirit speaks, that your spirit leads us, um, that we can hear your voice. That is your promise to us in your word, God. Your sheep can hear your voice. Um, and this morning, Lord, we, we want to incline our ears in your direction. We want to open our hearts to hear from you, not from man, not from me, but from you. God, I surrender. Thank you that your words, not mine, are the ones that make sense and are the ones that carry power. Um, So I thank you, God, that it is you um, that will do a work in us, that will bear much fruit, um, like Louis shared. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So, I've noticed things in church and in the world. Carly shared it. Um, I think Melissa was talking about it. You've noticed it too. And I'm going to tell you a long story that I hope you'll follow well. Um, And there is scripture. It's coming a little bit later. But I'm hoping you'll follow with me um, as as I show you some things, just pointing out and how it's going to unfold into what I believe God is saying to us. We've noticed an increase in anxiety, haven't you? Yo. You've noticed an increase in just confusion. People are confused. Like, what is going on? How do, how do I do life? What? People are stressed. People are afraid. We look and we listen uh, to the news and to things happening, and people are afraid. We as the church are afraid. And I ask myself this question, as I'm hearing these things, God, surely your church should look different. Surely we shouldn't be shaken by these things all the time. Surely it shouldn't go, every time I see something new or I hear or I'm, (laughs) the whole time. Surely there must be something else that we should be carrying or portraying that we are not yet. And as I'm noticing these things, you, you would have probably seen also a falling away of some prominent Christian leaders and Christian musicians over the last couple of months, years even big names, names that wrote songs that God used to minister to me a lot, are 
confused whether God really exists. And I'm going, yo, Yerra, how must I stand if those guys are not standing? How must I be able to make it all the way to the end? I'm very worried if I see the big names going, I don't know if God is really the only way. I don't know if it's really Jesus. That frightened me. And then I realized, it's as if I heard this word in my spirit, we're disillusioned. People are disillusioned. The church, we, I am disillusioned. And, and then I thought, hang on, what does disillusion mean? Um, Rodine, just a side note, I'm really sorry if my slides are not in the perfect order. Skisi, you must my listen and then work it. Sorry. <laughs> disillusioned. What does disillusion mean? That was my question, and I looked it up. I googled it. It means it's a disappointment resulting from a discovery that something's not as good as I believed it to be. It's a disappointment resulting from a discovery something is not as good as it, I thought it was. It's meant to be in my eyes. So that made me think, okay, what's not good enough? What, what is the something that's not as good as I believed it to be. That implied to me that there has to be an illusion in my life. And then I thought, what does illusion mean? And then I googled that. <laughs> Just to make sure my understanding is correct. Google had great words for it. It said it's an, uh, an instance of a wrong or misinterpreted perception of a sensory experience or a deceptive appearance, a impression, or a false idea or belief. And then I went, huh. So there seems to be a mismatch between reality and my reality, my illusions, or the things that I seem to have created because they don't look the way the world looks, or, or the, uh, my, my thinking, it's supposed to be this way. Why isn't it this way? It looks like this. I'll illustrate. I've been praying for two years. God still hasn't done it. I don't know if God actually hears my prayer. Two years. And then I thought, Yoch, Tani Amanda, I prayed 47 years for Malawi before Malawi happened. Side note. Now, I've prayed two years, and still God, God's not performing his word. Is he, is he really true? Is he really faithful? Um, you know, God's promised me something. You know, I have a promise from God. It's been four years and the promise has still not come to pass. Maybe I don't hear him. Maybe, maybe he's just dangling a carrot in front of me just to pull it away. Maybe my life looks very different from what I thought it would look like at this stage. No, I thought I, I'd, I'd also have the white picket fence and two cars and a dog. I don't. Why? Maybe he doesn't love me as much as he loves someone else. What have I done wrong? My children are not performing like I thought they would. Yo, I have children with learning needs. Why me, God? Yo, I don't. Why must I suffer? Why not someone else? 
What have I done wrong? Or maybe you are not who I thought you, sh- you should be in my life. Because I've created a God, a gospel, that must suit my life. Because I'm important. I have hopes and dreams and things to accomplish on this earth. I have money to make. I have children that I should be having. Where is the husband? (laughs) God's not doing his part. We've built a gospel of our own making that is a fake gospel that must suit or fit into how I think my life should be. And then when it's not, I become disillusioned. Because why, why is this different to what I, I said, God, you want good things for me, surely. Where are the good things? My, my good things. Not God's good things, my good things. Good things in the way I see it. I want those, God, not your good things. Because your gospel is too difficult. Your gospel requires more than I'm willing to give. I promise it's getting good. How fuss? How fuss? We're disillusioned and then we sit with anxiety and fear and insecurity and we're stressed and we don't know why because this is how I thought it looks and it's not looking that way. I'm, something's wrong. Something is wrong. And then I sat in my bed with these thoughts. I was writing things down, and I thought, hang hang on. I've seen this behavior before. And then I was looking um, at a a journal article on the psychosocial characteristics, sounds fancy, um, of orphan behavior. And then I saw a match. You can show the yellow one, Rodine. This is the match between orphan behavior and what we're looking like. That is the church. Anxiety, isolated, there's fear, no hope of a future, despondent. It looked like orphan behavior. And I thought, you? Lord, do we as the church have an orphan mindset? Do we live like orphans? And then I thought to myself, I need to think about, I need to examine orphan behavior a bit more. So I examined orphan behavior more. Orphans, you can imagine, struggle to trust. Especially older orphans, they've been in and out of the system. Um, They've been in foster families, people who promise to take care of them and they say, it's too difficult and puts them back into the system. They don't trust. Even when they're adopted into, into their forever family, it takes them a really long time, if, if ever, to fully trust their parents, to feel safe enough to be vulnerable in front of their parents. Because if they do that, they are relinquishing their control. And if they do that, an orphan mind will die 
because an orphan mind is created and, and is sustained by fight or flight. There is no rest and digest system in an orphan mind. It's only it's, its existence is kept alive by my control, my ability to maintain some form of what, what's going on here, I have, I have a say in, I have control over. If I, if I trust, I'm giving the control away. What if I'm not okay? What if they put me back in the system? What if, what if they say they'll love me forever and take care of me, but, but there's always a back door, surely. I can't risk it. Orphan behavior. They create a false sense of security but by holding on to that control. And that actually um, exacerbates that, the anxiety and the stress and, and the continuous fight or flight because I have to control. Otherwise, I won't make it. And then I think, but I do the same. I do the same. I, I maintain a level of control. Back doors are open with God. As I don't trust him. I trust him, I trust him a bit more, I trust him a bit more, but I don't fully trust him. Not really, really. I, I must have a little bit of control. Surely God's okay with that. A little bit of control. I'm going to read to you in Romans 8. See, I told you scripture is coming. <laughs> Romans 8. I had to get a different Bible because I realized the scriptures I gave was ESV scriptures, not my, my Bible that can lie open. This one doesn't lie open. In Romans 8, verse 15, or maybe I'll go from 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, or the, or the spirit of bondage, again, to fear. But you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. He reminds us that we are God's children all the time. Um, in the, when Paul wrote this to the Romans, it was to the church people in Rome, not to the city of Rome. It was to the church. So the church needed to be reminded that they are, shouldn't go back to their old ways of bondage. They must remember, you sons of God. The Spirit of God has adopted you. He's reminding the church, which means that we need constant reminder that we are children of God, that we have been adopted. And if, if we're adopted by God, then it means if, if I want to be fully or understand fully what it means to be adopted and to live as a son of God, I'm just going to stay in one gender. Work with me. I'm not, I am a female, but you know what I mean. Son of God. Um, then I must trust God. But how do I trust God? 
if I don't have some form of control of how it, how it goes. So, so I build a gospel that helps me keep my little bit of control. Or I don't adequately respond or adequately commit to the gospel so that I can maintain my little bit of control. That's what happens. I'm either not committing fully to the gospel because I have to maintain something. You know, a back door must be open. Or I create my own version that fits into how I can maintain some control because I don't trust God fully. John 14. John 14 from verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he's reminding them, because he's, he's talking to them about him leaving. But he's saying he, he'll not leave. He'll come back as the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come. The Spirit of Jesus will come and be with them. He's not leaving them as orphans. He's, he's talking about, for going on into verse, I mean, chapter 15, 16, he's reminding them all the time that the Holy Spirit is coming. Hold on. The Holy Spirit is coming. Now you can imagine, Jesus goes to the cross. Peter is so freaked out. He's, he's afraid of a slave girl going, oh, you know Jesus. You're one of his guys. He's so freaked out, he denies Jesus. They all run away. They're all disillusioned because they were all going, Jesus, you're here now to restore Israel? To wipe the Romans so that we can be the kingdom of God again? And Jesus says it doesn't look like that now. So when he dies, <laughs> they're all disillusioned. And the restoration came in in Acts when they were all sitting in the upper room praying because Jesus said, wait for me there, wait for me there. Remember, I said I'm not leaving you as orphans. Now he goes up into the sky. But you're leaving. What, what do you mean? You're, you're leaving. Even the angels coming and saying, why are you standing here? Why are you? He's coming back the same way. And they're going, but he's leaving. He said, he, he said he's not leaving. And then in the upper room after praying, and the Holy Spirit comes, what happens to Peter? He whoops this entire sermon that explains the whole gospel like that. Because his, his adoption an understanding of his adoption by the spirit of adoption that he received brought forth all that all the clicks came into place and he's able to see and understand and know who he is and from that position he he just preached the gospel and how many thousand people got saved in minutes from hearing the truth 
I want to tell you a story, um, a me story. Um, I, maybe this was, I, I thought about when this was, I think it's about 15 years ago. My friend Cara, she's in church with us also. Um, I phoned her to come and pray with me because I felt like something was very, very wrong. Um, and she said, oh, I'll come on Saturday. This was the, the, the Sunday, which means that it was seven days or whatever, six, before she's going to come to pray with me. And I said, you can't take that long. I'm sitting on a nebulizer. I can't breathe. You must come now. <laughs> she said, no, he's on. You're seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm going, no, I'm not. I can't breathe. Come. <laughs> so, so five days later, it was whatever. The next Saturday she came. And we prayed together, many things. And at some stage she says to me, Zonda, are you, are you taking up a position in your family that you shouldn't? And I thought about that and I, and I said, maybe. Um, because in my family, my parents have been divorced for many years. Um, it was rocky uh, for a for a season, very rocky in our home. And I realized if I act a specific way, everything will be okay. Everyone will be okay. I manage my father. Then my brother will be safe. I will manage what my dad thinks of my mom. Then it'll be okay. I will I'll go, no, no, dad, no. Sissy is working really, really hard on her studies. No, no, she's actually trying very hard. If I do all these things, it's going well. Everyone in the family is managed. I became very good at that. And God showed me this while we were praying. And I said, okay, so maybe I did. And then she said, you need to repent of it. So I repented. God, I'm very sorry for taking up a position in my family that I shouldn't. Amen. And then I looked up and I said, I don't mean it. I said to her, I don't mean my repentance. I don't want to repent. Because I don't trust that God will do it any better than I can. I actually said that out loud. (laughs) I, I, I do it very well. Surely God can't do it any better than I can. And then she said, then we'll stand here until you really repent. And I think she probably prayed, Lord, please help her see her wrong in this something, I don't know. And, and God showed me that it was, that's really a lack of trusting him. And that's why I can't give up this control that I had over my family. Um, and then I really repented. Real, true, honest repentance. Um, God did a, a miraculous work, a quick work, because we'd also been praying for some time. I was tired. Um, he was very faithful in, in helping me repent, seeing what it is that I'm doing. And within one year of that repentance, my brother got saved. I watched him with my own eyes be baptized in the sea. It is a mirac- beyond miracle. My mother was filled with the Holy Spirit, and my sister and I baptized her within one year. I didn't pray for them every night. I might have prayed for them twice, if, if that much. The position I removed myself from and enabled God to work in my family, and we saw fruit, insane fruit, because I got out of the way, and I said, okay, Lord, I'll 
trust you. It's shaky, but I'll trust you. And he was faithful to show me sooner, soon, actually, what the fruit of that looked like. And, and we'll continue to do that. As, as we con- because it's not just the quick word. My dad still needs the Lord. So if I'm out of the picture, I remove myself and position myself correctly in praying and loving my family the way I'm supposed to. God has free reign to work um, in their lives. Um, in Romans 5, verse 6, I'll read you that, Romans 5. Um, What's that done Bible D? Romans 5. From verse 3, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. He constantly reminds us that he has given himself to us. So we're not alone. But now we have to ask ourselves, why are we struggling to trust God? Why? What is, what is he, if we look at him and his character, surely we should be able to trust him? Because he's given us his all. And then I thought of Jesus in Hebrews 5, um, I'll, I'll, I'll read from verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus asked God, can this cup please pass by? But not my will, your will. Jesus wasn't disillusioned by the answer God gave because I don't think there was ever an illusion in his mind of why he was here and how it will work out, how it must work out, what he must do for us to be adopted, for us to fully receive all that he has for us. He was never disillusioned. He always knew he had to give himself extravagantly, fully, nothing in reserve, all the way for you and I to feel secure in our adoption, for us to see that trusting him is a very safe thing to do. It's a very out-of-control thing to do, but it's a very safe thing to do. Our lack of trust and really idolizing ourselves and our hopes and dreams and my, my life, my plans, and the fruit of the disillusion that we see in our lives, the anxiety, the, the fears, all those things, We really need to actually repent before God for creating a world of our own making and superimposing parts of the gospel onto it. Or or really not committing fully 
to the gospel, to, to all that it requires from us. Because Jesus did say he's giving us his all, but he is saying, I need your all. I require your all too, not your back doors. Your back doors is not your all. But it is a safe thing for you to give me your all. It's a safe thing. And somehow in our minds, that needs to click. Just like the real orphan needs to click that the parents that are his forever parents now are not going to put him back into the system. God's not going to put us back into the system. The price he paid is way too high to put us back into the system. There is no system for us to go back into. He silenced death in that sense. So it will become possible for us to, to look at the gospel without my lenses, my superimposed versions of it, to be challenged by it, to be challenged by even the things I have created or the areas I have not surrendered, in other words, where I haven't adequately um, committed to the gospel. I can, I can actually take off my lenses and ask the Holy Spirit, show me where my commitment lacks. Show me where I've created my own world. And, and to say, and to honestly say, I don't trust you, Lord. I don't know how. It feels very unsafe. You can, we can say those things to God. I just told you how I said I repented and then I really didn't repent. He's not overwhelmed by honesty like that. He knows it's in my heart anyway. So there's really no point in hiding my lack of trust from him anyway. But there is a fruit for us. If we fully surrender to, to the truth and the full gospel, we can operate as true sons of God, as truly adopted sons of God. Fully inheriting Christ, adopted children. It's possible. It's possible for our minds to be like Christ's mind. The word says that. And then last night I thought, oh, God, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony and not loving our lives unto death. So if I'm loving my life a lot, and my superimposed version of the gospel into my life. There's an element of my overcoming that I can't tap into. And we've been called to overcome this world. To be a light. Not to be shaky and look like the world. We're called to stand firm in the rock that is Jesus. Not to be swayed by winds of doctrine and, and nice-looking things. Our eyes are supposed to be fixed on Jesus. He, he enables us through his spirit to do these things. Not, not me trying to. I'll never be able to do it. His spirit with me. That's why he gave his spirit. To hold on to me and go, go on. This way. This way. This is the way. Walk in it. That's not the truth. Don't believe the lie. But I must know his word. I must follow him. So I'm giving a whole lot of homework to us 
this morning as we respond um, to the word. I, I want you to make a note on something, paper, a phone, or something, to go and to think about. We'll, we'll spend more time on this now, just in ministry, but where have I created a gospel of my own making? What, what, what orphan characteristics do I see in my life? Where are the areas that I don't trust God in? And then I'm going to ask Tim, Tim, will you come play for us, please? I love when Tim plays. He's so good. Because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do business with us. He's been saying it since song one that we sang. Not psalm one. Song, song one. That he's here to do business with us. Because he loves us. Because he wants to help us realign, look at him, see where are the areas that we are not fully trusting him. Where we are holding on to control. Because we have a perceived safety when we do that, but it's a false sense of security. He doesn't want us to live in false sense of security. He wants us to live in full security who he is. Because he paid a very high price for us to have that security. And when days get more troubling, we as the church get more secure because we must be an answer. We must be a light. They must run and find safety in the house of the Lord, not more shakiness. And when we're shaky, we go to God and we say, yeah, Lord, I'm shaky. I'm overwhelmed by these things. Remind me. What is the truth of your word? Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.